Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Zulu Time podcast with your hosts, Dan at Timely underscore moments and Darren at Zulu Alpha Strats. Are you doing guys? How are you doing, Dan? You right? I'm good, mate. You? Yeah, not too shabby, mate. Enjoying uh, the old quarantine life. Well, not quarantine. I shouldn't say that. I'm not in quarantine. I'm in. Uh, what's 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 the word for it now? Lockdown. Um, Lock, sort of lockdown. Things. Social distancing. Uh, Self isolation. There's a there, there's, there's, a, there's a few buzzwords. Isn't there's, it? Yeah, there's multiple terms for it, mate. But yes. Um, How about you? How are you going? Well, mate, as you know, I, I got back from uh, being overseas a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like I've come back to um, a bit of clown world, really, to be honest. Um, it's, it's gone a little bit mental, hasn't it? Let's be fair. Well, um, mate, I remember chatting to you, mate, you know, while you were out and trying to explain the gravitas of, of the situation, mate. Um, I was, you listened to me, mate, and paid lip service. I think you've got to live it to, to understand it. It's it's a little crazier at the minute. It feels like the world's falling apart around us a little bit. But, um, you know, it, what can we do? You, you just got to continue and, uh, and crack on and, and do what we do and, and wait for it to get better, I suppose, mate. Well, exactly that, mate. The way I the way I see it is, you've got to curb what you would normally do in order mm. to in order to ride this storm out, as it were. Um, yeah. But you are right, mate. I think it's one of those where it wasn't that I was unaware. It was yeah. just I was away. I was, you know, operating in a different environment. Um, you know, and it's just one of those where I think, you know, obviously we're gonna we're, we'll all come through it. It's just one of those where, like you said, it's just having to effectively sit and wait around for it to to kind of start to improve uh, naturally, it seems. Of course. Of course. Um, however, um, obviously there's people out there who are concerned uh, and it just goes back to it. I think the, the first rule of this situation is don't be a dick, um, you know, and, and just help you, help each other out the best you can. I think that's what it is, isn't it? So, it's that wartime mentality, mate. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, we can't necessarily um, you know, be in contact anymore physically, um, but that doesn't stop you from 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 being a nice guy, do you know? Yeah, exactly. Nice girl, depending on what exactly you're doing. If you're out and you see someone, you know, snatching stuff off older people, um, punch them in the face, uh, <laughs> same way as you usually would. Um, and and yeah, I mean, if you end up, uh, you know, in trouble with the police or whatever, then then DM us, and uh, you know, we'll do everything we can to get you the best solicitor possible. <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got carte blanche from uh, from a ZT podcast. Whilst we may not be able to pay the entirety of your legal bills, we will certainly contribute towards them. And we'll, um, we'll, we'll definitely stand by you on a, mor- a morality note. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I mean, people are just intended animals, mate. Over the, the weirdest of things. Yeah. Um. As you know, I I've, I've been keeping a bit of an eye on this, mate, for a couple of months and just just watching stuff develop. And for me, um, I've been sort of consciously aware of the situation. And 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 for something that took me by by surprise was the um, revenants paid to certain things like toilet paper. Honestly. Yeah. If this is the apocalypse, why are we worried about toilet paper? Surely you guys should be buying food. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that should well, have been the first yeah. priority. I know we're there now. We're, people are on the food wagon now. But we got to the food wagon long after 
you know, we'd, we'd, we'd ridden, you know, the toilet paper bus for a while. Um, so, yeah, blew my mind a little at me. Some of the yeah. stuff that people went for and what was interesting to them. But... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it showed um, certain people's priorities, didn't it? Uh, which, was, as you said, was surprising. But... I don't know about you, Dan, but my, my, my toilet mates about two foot away from my shower. Uh, I will adapt and I will overcome. Not a problem. Improvise, adapt and overcome. Simple as that. Uh, no great shakes, mate. No great shakes. It's, it's just one of those, isn't it? Like I said, it's highlighted certain um, things within modern society, which were quite surprising. Um, yes. But like I said, it goes back to it. If you if you don't have to be a dick in this in at this you know during this time, don't be a dick. Yeah. Uh, and that's my point of view on it, mate. As it as it goes. Um, but as you know. Um, and obviously, as uh, the majority of the country seem to be aware, obviously, with all the announcements, um, the military are on standby. So um, that is my uh, that's my life at the moment, mate. But anyway, Wait, the RAF had the um, the Battle of uh, Gatwick last uh, year yeah, before. It, yeah, the RAF regiment had the Battle of Bastion and now the British Army have potentially got the Siege of Sainsbury's. So, 100%, mate. You know what I mean? It's, uh, let's just, like I said, just, let's just see how this how this develops. But anyway, I think that's enough of uh, the current, <laughs> current situation, mate. We won't go into that. Um, yeah. We're uh, obviously here to talk about um, well, the next uh, part of the series, as it were, which is obviously moving on now to the 1950s. Mm. Um, you know, we closed off World War Two quite nicely, I think, with that interview with Don. Um, yeah, he was mega. From, I mean, uh, from, another shout out and thank you to him for getting on with us, mate. It was, yeah, uh, it was great to have him here. Yeah, and it's been it's nice, mate, because obviously, as you know, um, I mean, as people might not be aware, but obviously, you know, um, I do a lot of the you know editing for this podcast, and I do a lot of more of the engagement on the side of you know the advertisement of the episodes and the feedback for the episodes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you have had much engagement for it since we last spoke, but I obviously get to see the metrics, and I get to see a lot of the first-hand reviews and you know um, messages regarding yeah. our episodes. And uh, mate, it was very well received, shall we say. Um, which is really quite pleasing. So I'm glad glad it was received as well as it was. Uh, and like I said, I'm pleased that it rounded off World War Two as, as well as it did. No, I agree, mate. I agree. For us, it, we we want you guys to enjoy these as much as we enjoy making them. Um, yeah. And if that's the case, happy days. Everyone's a winner. Exactly that. But anyway, right. So that's enough about, obviously, the current situation and where we stand with the podcast. Obviously, we're now on to the 1950s and... Uh, I think it was a bit of a big top- topic, really, wasn't it? When we had a look at the research, it was a lot bigger than we thought. I think. Yeah, um, definitely, mate. There's, there's, there's a lot there. There is a lot yeah. there. Um, we, we, before we dive into stuff, mate, let's let's bang a risk check out first. Yes. Um, you, you go first, mate. What, oh, what have you got on? So um, I've decided because, as, as you know, again coming back to UK. I'm now obviously in touch with all of my watches, and obviously being in self isolation and all that kind of stuff. Um, I can't go anywhere, but, you know, be around my watches. So I've decided to break open the, the watch box today and I've got my um, Bremont Solo on me, my, uh, my own project watch. Um, I've not had it in rotation for a few weeks because obviously I didn't take it when I went overseas. So it's just nice to have her back on, as it were. Um, and then, yeah, it's just a good watch, as you know. It's, uh, you know, uh, a project that is close to my heart, one might say. My favourite, oh, your Bremont's made that one, I must admit. Thanks, mate. It is, is it because I designed it? No. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. Cheers. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I, I did a great job on it, mate, to be fair. Um, Thank you. I, I just love the watch. I mean, it sits so well. And the things that you did, that there are elements to that dial. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, find find Dan um, on Instagram and, and, and you'll be able to see what we're referring to. But the subtleties to it, mate, it's... It's just, it's just really well executed. It's good, good designing, mate. Very good designing. Um, well, I'll take that as a compliment, and also I think Bramont will take that as a compliment as they actually they had to go and build it. Of course. Uh, but no, but no, mate. I'm, I'm genuinely really pleased. Um, and a little bit about the background of the project before obviously people go and have a look. Um, it's still a ongoing project, which is really cool. So I've been obviously a project leader now with Bramont pretty much since 2018, um, middle of 2018. Um, and the first watches were delivered um, around Christmas 2018 into early 2019. Yeah. Uh, the majority of them came out. Um, but like I said, I'm still getting um, applicants, mate, even now. So until that changes, obviously, it's going to continue going on um, as a live project, which is quite cool. Nice. nice. So, yeah, what about you, mate? What have you got on? Oh, mate, all faithful. Samsung K2. Uh, Samsung? Samsung. Sang K2. I was looking at my phone then at the same time. My apologies. Uh, the Sangin Instruments K2 mate, is what I'm rocking today. Um, it's the pilot. Um, I've talked about it before on the podcast. For me, mate, I'm I'm, I'm I'm at home working from home at the minute, and there's a thousand distractions. The kids, you know, running mm-hmm. in out of the garden, and the wife wanting to sort out bits and bobs around the house etc so i don't want to be wearing anything i can scuff up or damage um not that i don't care about the sangin um i do very much i love it um but it's it's a bit more of a a rugged beast um for mm. you know for the tasks at hand i'm finding at the minute anyway weirdly mate at the minute i'm finding probably because they're close to me but i'm, I'm cycling through watches far quicker um, than, than I usually do. Um, some days I'm wearing two at a time. I'll just swap them over on lunchtime or whatever, um, just because they're there. So yeah, it, it's it, it's a weird time, but it's a great time to reconnect with the collection a little bit and, and potentially a, a, a time to reevaluate the collection in in some ways. I'm looking at one or two of my pieces now, thinking, do I really need these? Do you know what I mean? I've got yeah. them. I haven't worn them in a long time. Could I free up the space and yeah, know, yeah. go out and, and get something something else I'm after or um, well, mate, I, th- I think a lot of collectors are in the same position. You know, like you said, they're they're staying at home. They're more in touch with their pe- collection because it's there. You know what I mean? And yeah. like you said, they're cycling through them maybe a little bit more just to kind of pass the time. Excuse the pun. Yeah. Um, but I'm in the same position, mate. I managed to move on uh, one of my watches earlier this week as well, which is quite nice. good. You know, so it's good to reevaluate the collection. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think. I think you get into that position anyway, naturally, where you'll sit yeah. and go, right, actually, do I wear this? Do I not wear this? You know, or could I, you know, could this go on to another individual who would potentially appreciate it? Not necessarily better, but you know what I mean? Like, it's all very well, as you said, mate, uh, and you described some of the pieces that I've had in my collection over the years yeah. as, you know, having ornaments in your collection that you pull out of the watch box and show people, but then back in the box they go. Yeah. You know, actually as we both agree, you know, these things, uh, they need to be worn, they need to be appreciated as well. So, you know, it's also looking at it from that regard. It's like, well, I don't wear it. It's not that it's a bad watch. It's just that I know someone out there would probably wear it and appreciate it more on a daily basis than I do. So, I, I think we're custodians, mate, for, for yeah. do you know what I mean? That, that's the thing that there are, but there are for a period of time. Um, the, yeah. the nature of watches, mate, they outlive people. Yeah. And ultimately, 
you know, there's there's stuff in your collection, mate, that, you know, it's, it's, it's decades and decades old. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and, and these things, they want to be worn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They want to be worn. So, yeah, I mean, if you can free some stuff up, mate, to make a bit of room and you can get something else you'll enjoy a little bit more at this point in time and someone else gets to relive the enjoyment you had previously without watching, so be it. More power to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. But, yeah. So, but anyway. Podcast. Good. Yeah. So, do you want me... I'll give, I'll give the introduction. Cool. So, obviously, guys, the way we broke it, we obviously, we're, we're taking you through um, history military watches chronologically. Um, and I think so far we've done that quite well in terms of looking at via the conflicts. However, unfortunately, we've got to the 1950s now and the overarching conflict from now until well, from the 1950s right up until you know, basically the end of the 90s effectively is the Cold War. I and mean, then obviously all the way throughout the Cold War, you've got various little conflicts, little, I say little, oh, you know, in hyphens. Oh, yeah, but you've got various, you've got various conflicts which are more prevalent that obviously turned into hot conflicts. Um throughout this period and i don't think it was quite representative enough of basically the world of military watches so i think from now on we're going to look at it in terms of each decade and then look at it by service for each episode yeah and i think that kind of works better so the navy being the senior service mate mm-hmm. and obviously you know you being ex-navy i decided to give you a bit of a treat um Thanks, mate. we're going to look at naval watches effectively in the 1950s but specifically we're looking at divers watches because a everyone loves a good diver yep. you're also a diver uh, a recreational diver um and also it's a prevalent era in terms of dive watches as well for the 50s you know you've got the prevalence of actual diving watches being created so i think it was a good way to start so there you go that's what we're going to do today yeah fair one, mate i think I think talking about dive watches and military divers, mate, any 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 story has to start really um, in nineteen twenty six with the Rolex Oyster. Yeah. You know, um, that's when watches became waterproof and that's when the prospect mm-hmm. of diving with watches was born, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, so so just a, a quick nod to Rolex there. Um, obviously, they had the, the, the Oyster, and that, that swam across the channel with Mercedes. Um, and, and I believe that watch went down to about 10 metres uh, at the time. Um, slightly after that, Amiga came out with something, um, uh, their version of it. It's a two-case watch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that got basically dropped down to 73 metres in Lake Geneva. Yeah, um, and there's actual vid- there's actual photos of that yeah. at the bottom, isn't there? Yeah. And he, he's there with his big old bronze diving helmet and stuff like that, which looks quite cool. Hey, those diving suits um, back in the day were incredible. A human being so yeah. no, I, I, wear them and dive and be functional is beyond me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well it's very um, Men, Men of Honour-esque, isn't yeah. it? Great so, film. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Men of Honour. Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, what a film. Or Carbris here, but yeah, Amiga. Yeah. So Amiga, Amiga sort of brought that that that, that two uh, that watch mm-hmm. with two cases on it. And yeah. after that, really, um, you know, we delved into uh, the first, uh, sorry, the Second World War and how big that mm-hmm. was. Now during that yeah. time frame, there were watches that were getting used, um, not necessarily by career divers or people with diving trade, yeah. but 
you know, on ad hoc operations. Um, and we touched yeah. on those a little bit um, when we were mentioning the cost D watches um, in episode before last. Yes. So naturally, we get to the 50s. Um, and that's when some of the big innovations sort of came into place with, with dive in and divers' watches. And uh, as with most things watch related, um, the requirement was driven by the military. Mm-hmm. So I would say the the most foremost watch um, that we can refer to during this period was the, the Blank Pan 50 Fathoms. Um, yeah. Which was a cool piece, really cool piece. That was commissioned uh, by the French Navy. A um, pair of officers um, basically decided that you know they're going to have a combat scuba team um, mm-hmm. and, and operate that within the French Navy, and, and they needed a watch to do that job. So, so the 50 Fathoms basically was brought brought to the table um, a little bit weird comparison to um, modern day divers it had uh, a bezel that rotated in both directions didn't have a screw down crown yeah um, but the origins of that watch were pretty much what became the gold standard I would say for mm. for diving watches and military diving watches um, yeah. 50 fathoms I mean, Go on. sorry sorry mate if you keep going yeah. I've, I've just Saying that I was, uh, I'm pulling up the specs now. So obviously, I'll let you have your spiel, and then we'll go through some of the specs just to tell the audience, obviously, what why this almost became effectively, you know, like you said, the, yeah, the yeah, gold yeah. plate standard at the time. So well, fi- I'll let you finish, and then fifty fathoms, guys, is pretty much three hundred feet. So one fathom equals six feet, or ninety. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, one fathom equals six feet. So fifty fathoms, three hundred feet, or just over ninety-one meters. Um, so you can yep. see with the name came from there um, but as i say what was weird about it is is what you take for granted now when a diver screw down crown um a one directional bezel it didn't have those uh-huh. but but yeah d- drop 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 your detail in Dan. What, what do you want to add well i, I mean i just well firstly mate i wanted to um firstly throw something out there you, you stated obviously it didn't have a, a screw down crown and obviously you think now modern day divers you think oh anything that you know, a watch has to be waterproof. And, you know, you listen to all these people who, you know, collect watches and that's great. And they turn around and say, my watch isn't waterproof unless it's got a screw down crown. But I like to think, just throw that out there. If the French combat swimmers were diving with a watch without a screw down crown back in the 50s to, you know, effectively, you know, waterproof to 91 meters. Yeah. I think washing your hands with a watch without a screw down crown or occasionally jumping in the pool or, you know, yeah. having a shower is going to be fine but you know firstly yeah, that yeah. that's the one you know that's the first thing i want to pull out you're gonna be fine you know what i mean it's just like when people get all thrown into a bit of a tizzy don't they when they're like oh you went in the water with a watch without a screw down crown you know it's, it's like shut up get a grip you know these french combat swimmers were properly diving with a watch without a screw down crown any and it was fine any service and builds subsequent to this episode please um, send the bills to Dan, not me. I'll pay for your solicitor <laughs> if you've been on people, on old people. But yeah, I'm not. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a liability on that one, mate. But yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, there's a big thing with speedies about it. Um, people freak out mm. over over speedies, um, getting them wet, this and the other. It's like, guys, you're gonna be fine. I'm sure. You know what I mean. As long as that yeah. watch has been looked after and the service properly, then yeah, you you shouldn't have any issues. Um, uh, random pub trivia for you, mate. Do you know why they didn't have a screw down crown? No, I don't, mate. But I'm going to assume is it to do with something with, for example, I don't know, an element of the machining back in the day. Maybe they couldn't perfect it as you know, um, you know, standardized 
just you know that element of watchmaking maybe nope. or is it also the other element which i can think of similar to the compressor divers of the six of the 60s 70s where the deeper the watch went the more watertight it became anyway it's far more simpler than that mate okay rolex um had the uh the rights to screw down crowns they invented it um so during that time uh... period no one else could do it um i don't want to delve into the law but from my research and what i understand is when you invent something you have the ip on you, that for a period of time you patent yeah, it yeah for a period of time but then you know variations um can come out and, and you know with slight modifications or whatever but yeah at that time rolex were the only ones who were doing it and they had the rights to do it so no one else could well there you go mate i never knew that Random little fact. Yeah, i've learned something now Learn something there for you. You sound shocked. So, like I've delivered you. I am, mate. Of, of I, knowledge. Yeah, I, I, I really like that, mate. <laughs> like that. Um, so yeah, so there you go. So that's uh, your overview on the blank pan 50 fathoms. And obviously, as we know, it went on to be used by um, the Marine National. Yep. Um, your, you know, some would say your adversary, really, mate. Uh, you know what uh, I mean? I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. Not, not from a strap standpoint, but... Um, from a naval standpoint, you know what I mean. It's um, we've never had the best relationship with the French. Um, there are actually tales of. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll tell a, a, a brief story. I don't want to get into um, spinning too many, you know, uh, debts, mate. But um, mm-hmm. not too long ago, in the early two thousands, um, there were uh, some British sailors uh, who were ashore in France. Um, and on, on, on the piss, basically, came back to the ship in the dockyard yeah. in the evening. Uh, one of the old French carriers uh, was alongside, and she was just about to get decommissioned, uh, a mothballed. Mm. Um, so they took a British ensign and raised it um, on the carrier, the French carrier. Now, it all sounded like great fun and a laugh and a joke at the time, um, but due to maritime law, that was an act of piracy, and now that carrier belonged to the Royal Navy. Whilst it was alongside in France, so <laughs> that ended up with a Cobra meeting with the Prime Minister. Um, they wouldn't let the ship leave France, uh, the British one or the or the new British one. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let either. Um, but as they say, the shit um, massively hit the fan uh, over that, and and what what started off as quite a funny little. Uh, Little thing to do turned into uh, an international uh, diplomatic nightmare. Um, but yeah, so we, we've never had the best relationship with the French uh, Navy, mate. Um, and and we've, we've took every opportunity we could possibly take to um, to get one up on each other. Um, and that goes back hundreds of years, mate. You're going to look at the history mm-hmm. of Britain and France and, and you'll understand you know, how or why that, that um, competitiveness is there. But yeah, the Marine Nationale in all their glory, bless them. Um, yeah, so they, they used it. Um, what's really interesting about these, mate, is is, is obviously they, they were designed solely or more or less commissioned um, for the Marine Nationale, but other navies were not to use them as time went on. Um, yeah. Particularly in, in the 60s, um, uh, Tornick and Ravel um, basically yeah. used the 50 Fathoms uh, in the US uh, for what would become the SEAL teams, so the EOD teams of the 60s. A um, couple of interesting photos. Yeah. Again, if you jump on Google Images, um, you'll see some photos of those getting used by the, uh, the EOD teams out in the States. Um, we yeah. don't want to delve too much into that because we're talking about the 50s today, not the 60s, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But in essence, it's a rebadge 50 Fathoms 
um, with a few modifications to it, um, you know, as as time went on through that decade. But yeah, that's the uh, that's the blank part, mate. Unless you want to add anything to that. No, mate. I don't want. I don't need to. Um, touch on much more about the blank pan um, guys just so you're aware in the show notes there is link links to some of the references that we have obviously used for this episode and one of them is um, on the website called the spring bar um, it's got a really good article on the history of the blank pan 50 fathoms so you know go 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 to that website and fill your boots um you very briefly mate touched on america yeah. so what i'm gonna do is take dial it back a little bit and obviously yeah um the blank pan 50 fathoms was eventually built effectively under license by tornick and Ravel um in the 60s and like i said we'll go into that in the next episode or the, it, when we hit the 1960s episodes we'll, we'll talk more about yeah. that um but just i thought i'd dial it back just um before the um the procurement of the tornick and Raval watches um the americans did have um aquatic wristwatches shall we say for better use of the term and the fact that there were watches used by effectively their um shallow water divers um so these were known as the bu ships watches um so they, effectively they are no different to a standard uh elgin slash hamilton a11 type looking watch but the big difference is is the fact that the crown had a big canister looking screw in kind of casing on top of it. So the outer casing would unscrew. It was attached to the case by a little chain and then latch. You'd unscrew, the crown would be inside. You'd then unscrew that, wind it and all that kind of stuff. And then you'd screw the big cap back on. Um, and that was basically the early divers watches um, really throughout the World War II. The idea was that we waterproofed them by giving them bigger seals and case backs and, you know, acrylic crystals that could deal with the pressure but then we would protect you know effectively the hole in the case which is obviously where the crown is so Not too dissimilar in lock to some of the u-bought watches you, you see today exactly yeah. that yeah, yeah exactly that so i'm looking at one now um and they were made by various companies mate similar to the a11s uh, but, but the predominant companies being elgin and hamilton obviously they were american watch companies at the time uh, and the watches were stamped USNBU ships. Mm. Okay, um, so that's what those are. And as you alluded to, these were initially used, mate, by the underwater construction and demolitions teams um, in the in World War Two. They were known as the Seabees, um, and then they went on, as you know, to form the UDT teams, which obviously we'll speak about in the when we get on to the 1960s. Yep. Right, I've got two more nations for Go you, on. mate, from from my research. Uh, it depends where you want to start. Do you want to go with Italy or do you want to go with Great Britain? Go with Italy, mate. Let's have a look at Italy and Italy? keep the best or last. Okay. So um, during World War II, as we know, the Italians dabbled with the use of the human torpedo. So effectively, the, the teams that would um, effectively ride torpedoes effectively <laughs> underwater um in order to conduct um subsurface attacks on warships that were in harbor okay so think cockle shell heroes just 
on these very small submarines and all that kind of stuff. So the watches that they used, mate, were Panerai watches. Okay, so Panerai watches, obviously, as we know, they've got a big history with diving watches in the Italian Navy. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting to pull out um, just a few little facts that I think you know people would find interesting, not necessarily about the watches themselves in terms of the design uh, and the shape, because it's that standard Panerai luminal, you know, esque case that we we all know and love as it were um but what's interesting was um firstly the movements were made by rolex uh and there's a reason for that effectively even though panerai and obviously italy was an axis power they came under uh, effectively the nazi regime the wider fascist nazi regime and effectively the divers watches were ordered by the nazi party to panerai to produce Panerai, obviously, during the war, they had to let go of some of their watchmakers. It was obviously a smaller company. And in order to keep up with the high demand of watches to effectively the Wehrmacht and the Axis powers, um, Rolex sent effectively under the table watch movements to Panerai so that they wouldn't effectively be executed. So effectively, so they Rolex saved Panerai by... Sub, uh, I guess, um, not substituting, but you know what I mean? Like um, subsidizing watch parts in order to keep Panerai in business, which is quite interesting. You see a lot, a lot of that now, mate, in the car trade um, and, and, and vehicles, certainly with the UK anyway. Um, those, those of you who have grown to know and love the brand Jaguar, uh, they brought out an X-Type in the 2000s. Um, I actually used to have one, a fantastic car, um, but it had a Ford Mondeo engine in it. Um, rebadged as a Jag, um, but it was a full one day engine. Um, so this isn't something that is unusual or uncommon. Um, what you tend to find is a lot of companies will develop um, a, a certain line of products. Um, that could have been a chronograph or a diver or whatever. Um, and one of their more or less competitors, but a, someone they're sort of friendly with, but potentially in a different price point too, so it doesn't really matter, may develop a, a diver. So the lessons mm-hmm. that um, one company learned on the diver and the lessons the other company learned on the chronograph, every so often these companies will get together and just share best practice um, because it, it halves the R&D bill for a start and allows every, everyone mm-hmm. to bring something to market um, and, and enrich the market a little, a little as well. Um, you will find out on other, other watches. Um, so it's not an uncommon thing to see, but um, what's weird is... is for me, anyway, I, I, I always knew that the, the Panerais were used by uh, the Italian Navy, predominantly, um, you know, for their, their torpedo men and frogmen um, to mm. attack um, Allied ships. Um, I didn't necessarily know um, the involvement that the Nazi Party had with them, uh, which was, yeah. uh, I think, we single-handedly mate, um, just caused a, a mass sale of uh, used Panerais, mate, on the market there. Uh, once people hear this, <laughs> that's not it's not typically an association you want to have uh, to your wristwatch, but um, it, it's history nonetheless, and, and, and you, you can't gloss over it. it. It happened, it was part of, of, of the, the Pakuma process and how it went down, and mm-hmm. you know, weirdly, without it, Panerai wouldn't exist now, so... Um, yeah, exactly. You've got to look at it from from both angles, guys. When you hear that, you know everyone shudders when they hear that with Nazi Party. Mm. Um, but you know, they, they, rightly or wrongly, these guys controlled a huge portion of Europe for a long time. 
Um, so yeah, you know, yeah. they had influence over things, things that we take for granted. You know, things, things that that, that affect us on the daily now. But yeah, bit of interesting, uh, interesting gossip on uh, on the old panel right there, mate. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm, uh, the more I find out, mate, the less I want one, uh, which is frustrating because I love <laughs> it. They're beautiful yeah. looking watches. Well, mate, and also you've got a wrist big enough to to oh Sasquatch, uh, Sasquatch wrist, yes. mate. Yeah, yeah, because. You know, if I wore a Panerai, mate, I would effectively drown in the bath because they're that big. I'm sure it'd pull me down to the bottom and you would never see me again. Whereas, obviously, yeah, you can you can uh, get away I'm with I'm surprised you can get in the um, bath, mate. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like toddler well, mate, steps. there are steps. Yeah, yeah, there are steps leading up to it. Um, so, yeah. But um, another two, two other bits to close off in terms of that Panerai story, mate. Um, so... The movements were Hamwell movements. They were at like eight day like power reserves. And what they found was that obviously every eight days the, the swimmer the combat swimmers would unscrew the crown, they would wind the watch, screw it back in. Obviously that destroyed the threading and that made the watches less waterproof. So you know that latch that you see on the side of most Panerai's yeah. now? That big latch that kind of keeps the crown in. That's how Panerai got around the whole de-threading and the of the crown and all that kind of stuff so it's of historical significance as well as just the design thing so that was born out of necessity not out of you know and practicality not necessarily out of a design aspect that they wanted to have something to make their watches stand was, out uh, so i find that quite interesting need to have not nice to have yes exactly and then the other bit mate was early um panerai what divers they had the california dials which is obviously the top portion of the dial being roman numerals the bottom being your standard arabic numerals that you would see on most other uh, military watches and they didn't from my research mate it doesn't really say why they went for that design but i can only assume it just aided in orientation of the watch in low light underwater conditions where obviously you know all you've got is you know effectively the the um, radium glow off the watch right. so that is another interesting the, the italians right as well i mean in many ways they we look at battle honors in britain mate, um for, for, for units or, or, or branches of the military the italians have probably got the mm. best battle honors ever um with the romans um so to see roman numerals <laughs> on a diet, yeah um, there was probably a little bit i would assume mate, in that design phase and that design process of uh Let's just put a sprinkling on there of uh, of our heritage. Um, you know, I think, I think yeah. that probably played a part. Whether it was a main driver, I don't know, but um, I'm fairly confident mate, that that would have had some influence over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't. It was I would class it as Italian yeah. flair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. Um, so there you go, mate. No, there you go. That's uh, that's the Panerai, mate, for you in the Italian forces. What? Well, mate, um, I mean, after the after the blank span, I, I, you pretty much get to the you know, the mill subs, the Rolexes, really. Yes, um, we do. So coming yeah, out of World do. War Two, um, you know, the Ministry of Defence realised that they needed military right. numbers. Yeah. So I've got here, mate. Uh, on my notes, and again, you touched on them in, in our intro when we were talking about it. Obviously, we spoke about the costly yeah. watches. Now, I would say that that's where that that the need for a watch to operate in subsurface operations obviously yeah. was born and i think some of these watches were possibly some of the nicest watches military watches ever made um guys again go back to it so um if you want to have a look at these just type in long jeans cost d 
and you'll have a look at them. Uh, they did actually reissue them a couple of years ago, um, obviously without the divers strapped in the big plastic cases that would go on the outside of them, but they're very nice looking watches. Um, for those who haven't listened to the episode or they've just skipped ahead, these Costi watches were predominantly issued to special forces. Um, and obviously in this term, we've got it for special forces and what was the OSS, OSOE element, you know, kind of um, operators. Um, but what we can see is the fact that these watches had screwing crowns and they also developed what they class as an outer plastic case, waterproof case, which the watches went into. And then that was strapped on the outside of the um, swimmer canoeists uniform effectively when they were conducting these operations. So the plastic case aided in waterproofing an already watertight watch. And it also aided it, um, the watch to be a little bit more, you know, resilient to salt water corrosion. Um, and then I guess just being knocked around on a, on, on, in that environment. I mean, I don't know, mate, I've not operated on the ship. Um, you obviously have, and you spent a long yeah. time on it. It's, so it's not a pleasant yeah. place. Mate. And, I mean, it all depends where you are in the no. world. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a pleasant place. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly around Northern Europe where the majority of these operations sort of went on and happened. And, and if we look at it, guys, and, and as you referred to there, Dan, with the cost e-watchers, mate, they, they were the seeds that were planted um, yeah, when, when we definitely. were operating um, subsurface operations um, mm -hmm. uh, at a very... I don't want to take anything away from anyone, but um, uh, early in, in their life, um, early in that environment... Yeah, I mean, basic, almost, it, it goes back... I'd say it was a muddling through, wasn't it? It's almost very amateur hour. It sounds really bad to take away from what they did. They were inventing that style it wasn't of for yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. Exactly that. You know, they were yes. pioneering it and they didn't quite understand it themselves. And a lot of it was innovation and balls, a lot of balls, and just luck. Just plain luck was involved in this Mate, as well. Same with the rest really? of the kit. A lot of it was trial and error. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We, we, we've got an idea yeah. of what we want to, you know, we know what we want to do. We've mm -hmm. got an idea of what we're going to need. What can we get off the shelf? Okay, we'll get this, we'll get that, we'll get the other. Some of it made the muster, mate, yeah. and, and, and did what it needed to do sure off itself. Other things needed revisions. The watches was one of them. Mm -hmm. So from, from those costs, these, yeah. um, you know, later on into the 50s, um, uh, you know, 57, uh, the MOD commissioned, the, the Rolex Submariner. They went with Rolex, mate, because yeah. Rolex at the time were the ones to go to if you wanted a waterproof watch. They had their heritage yeah. there with, uh, with with the channel crossings um, on the uh, the Oyster back in 26. They've been making innovations since. Yeah. Um, they had the screw down crown, um, etc. So when the MOD went to them, the, the, the Submariner was pretty much there, but it needed some revisions for it to become the Milsa. Yeah, and those yeah, revisions were uh, fixed bars, uh, nylon strap, yep. a, a larger bezel. Yeah, interestingly, made from silver. Yeah, German silver was used for that. Yeah, I found that quite. I found that. Quite yeah, no, the, the rationale behind that is is basically silver would dent when it's banged, um, whereas mm -hmm. steel could crack. Um, uh, off on a tangent and, and a shameless plug in many ways but um, mm -hmm. every so often I get a message uh, from customers where they ask me why do you guys use 304 stainless steel for your buckles and not 316 um, and it's for this reason um, 316 is fantastic but it's a lot harder uh, which makes it a lot more brittle mm -hmm. so can it take as much yeah. of a pounding as a softer metal 
no, soft and metal will come off with for wear um, on 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 its mm-hmm. um, uh, the wear and tear or the dents and the dings and this and that and the other. But you can live with that as long as it's functional. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's the same rationale yeah. here we're using that silver. The silver, yeah, it'd take a big ding and a, and a dent and a scratch or whatever, but it wouldn't break. It wouldn't come off. Um, and these bezels yeah. were larger um, and they were larger. So, so yeah. you know, divers could, could operate gloved, which yeah. is... And I, I guess that would also aid in uh, visibility yeah, as well. Yeah, Being of course. Bigger, I mean, yeah. uh, listen, the, the, the North Atlantic, the English Channel, um, the Irish Sea, um, all of these places where where you know the R and D would have been done certainly by the Ministry of Defence. Um, we haven't got the cleanest of water. Um, I shouldn't say sturdy, but due to the nature of, of you know where we are in the world, we haven't got the tropics. Here. Um, so it's murky, it's dark, yeah. uh, it's, it's very, uh, it's a lot of silt in the water. So any aid mm-hmm. you can get in visibility is better. Um, so, so larger bezels uh, that would increase visibility and allow a diver to rotate it with a gloved hand um, is, is, is definitely yeah. required, particularly because of the temperature of the water here as well. Um, you know, it's not... Mm-hmm. But, you know, don't have. Uh, you know, if you guys are stateside listening to this, when we dive in this country, um, unless it's the highest summer, we typically dive in a dry suit, not a wetsuit. Um, you know, uh, even even some of the the best wetsuits on the planet will not keep you warm in the water. So we have you. Um, so so when we're diving, it's 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 predominantly in a dry suit. Mm. Um, because of the temperature of yeah. water, because it's not it's not the most comfortable of places to be. Um, no, no. But yeah, I mean, visibility was a big thing. Um, uh, wearing gloves when you're diving is a big thing because you're in your dry suit, because the waters are so cold, you need those gloves on. Um, but what was interesting yeah. is is these tiles were re-loomed um, also by MOD uh, watchmakers. Um, so they came from the factory with uh, iridium, but they really re-loomed tritium yeah. um, and then the teaser added as well. Nice. Uh, again, I yeah, I read that and I was found that yeah, quite surprising as well. You think um, something like that would be done I mean, in the factory, but it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. You you would have thought that, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe Rolex was still just using up all the leftover radium. Maybe. Um, I've got I've got two points, mate, at the back of that. You know, we mentioned German silver uh, for the bezel, and you mentioned the reasons for that because obviously it would dent, it won't crack, and you know the you potentially the standard or civilian market bezels were more prone to cracking and all of that kind of stuff, which obviously is not yeah. what you want, you know, when you're timing your dive. So I've got, I've got two points. So firstly, the continuation of the use of silver, I found is potentially a hark back to the HS, HSC 65, the HSC 15 and the HSC 37s, which I can't see you right now, but I'm guessing you're looking at me, would look at me with a quizzical and blank mm. expression on your face. So these watches, mate, were given to the submarine service and to what I would assume eventually became or would be the forebears of the Royal Navy divers. So not your swim economists, but your traded yeah. divers. Um, again, these watches, mate, were, were quite big and unwieldy watches. Um, so firstly, to put it in perspective for you, um, we know a Rolex Submariner's 40 mil, you know, in, pretty much including its crown. That's a very wearable size. These things without the crown were 51 millimeters. Yeah, OK, so these things are specifically used as dive watches, as it were. Um, they didn't have um, or some of them didn't have 
centers like seconds at all they just had hours and minutes um if they did have seconds it would be center seconds but the bezels mate were plain they were big wide cases and a bit like the bu ships watches again they had that big outer um casing for the crown okay and they had fixed wire lugs um but the interesting point which i was actually getting to is about that these watches the whole case was silver unhallmarked silver and again the reason for that is similar to what you explained to earlier is the fact that it's better to take a knock on a softer metal than risk cracking the case and destroying your watch especially if you're conducting operations on a picture for the guys listening as well um yep we've talked about their swimmer canoeist divers and royal navy divers um now what's the difference um so a swimmer canoeist um what is known now as sbs um, these are what the Americans were referred to as combat divers. So these are people traveling to and from a destination um, to conduct, either conduct uh, uh, an operation ashore when they arrive or to conduct an operation underwater when they arrive. Um, a Royal mm-hmm. Navy diver um, typically um, is for repair, salvage, and clearing of mines. So both sets of divers are military. Both of them um, will have a similar requirement when it comes to watches, um, but the job mm-hmm. that they do whilst they're underwater differs in a huge way. Um, so if there was any any query yeah. around that, I just wanted to clarify that. Um, but don't have visions, guys, of people scuba diving and, and things like that. These guys, you know, for example, a, an instance where a Royal Navy diver um, would be diving, for example, could be uh, the, the propeller of the ship has become fouled, um, it's caught the yeah. chain, it's caught the rope, whatever. We've got to send the divers down uh, to clear that that that, that blockage mm-hmm. you know, around the propeller um, in order for the ship to become viable again. Um, so when you're doing that, you're operating machinery, you're operating equipment, um, you could be welding underwater, you know, you could be clearing mines. Yeah. You know, there's bangs and explosions going off around you. You know, being able to take a knock is fundamental. These aren't pleasure dives. Uh, these are uh, commercial, modern day terms, commercial working dives, um, particularly, um, mm. you know, uh, for the military. So, um, yeah, I just want to paint a bit of a picture there because not everyone is as au fait with diving and the types of military diving that there are. No. Um, I, I've actually got a few friends who are in um, the fleet diving units uh, within the Royal Navy uh, and these guys specialize mm-hmm. in assisting special forces on their operations um, with their teams to clear mines um, so they can take um, um, whatever equipment they want to underwater and ashore. Um, so these guys will go out ahead yeah. um, of the SF guys, they parachute in into the sea, uh, dive immediately down, clear a channel or a path um, that will allow the British Special yeah. Forces then to uh, to make their approach. Um, so yeah, weird and wonderful uh, little uh, spin on on military diving there, guys. But uh, yes, yeah. this helps paint a bit of context as to why these things were considered and what they needed. Uh, fixed lugs is a big one. You know, yeah. what I mean, there's stuff going on underwater, and yeah. the only way you want to lose your watch um, is is um, if your arm gets blown off, uh, which isn't comfortable. But yeah. um, that's how fundamental it is if you're underwater. Um, that's the only time it's going to be. You know, you're going to have a bigger yeah. problem than losing your watch because your watch time dies. You've got to know how long you're under. You've got to know when to surface. Yeah how long to wait on your surface or when you're resurfacing uh, make sure you don't get the bends um, so these are fundamental bits of kit they are tool watches 
every sense of the word. Mm. Um, and it was Rolex, essentially, who, who, who run that show. And they pretty much had it from 57 mm. to 67. Um, again, we, we'll, we'll dip a bit into the military, uh, sorry, into uh, what happened in the 60s um, or, or future episodes. But these guys pretty much set up the blueprint, certainly for the British Navy, on, um, on what, uh, mm. military diver needed to be and what the characteristics were. Interestingly, the characteristics in the most part have carried through to today. So if you look at the you know, the current issue diver, which is the Elliot Brown Holton, that's currently issued to yeah. the Trans Forces as a diving watch. It too has fixed lug bars. It too comes on a nylon strap. Mm-hmm. It too has a larger bezel that's nailed at the top so a diver can operate it underwater with gloved hands. Um, you know, these things, yeah. they were learnt, um, you know, by the SOE divers, by the uh, swimmer canoeists of World War II. We learned the lessons then and developed yeah. them into the 50s. Um, and they were so prominent, the lessons that we learned, they've carried up until now, you know, 50, 60, 70 years later. Um, these these, these, these mm. elements or these um, pieces of the pie are still there. They're still prominent. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Interesting to see that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is really interesting to see how it was developed and, and you, like you said, it refined as it's obviously continued. Um, my second point, mate, um, going off the back of the use of, you know, a softer metal and dinging your watch underwater and operating in an aquatic environment, be it on ship or off ship. I'm just going to ask you, you know, yeah. when you go diving, what, what, what do you take? You know, what do you rely on now, you know, compared to potentially what, what we've looked at, you know, what watch I mean, in today's you... episode? Well, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, people are yeah, about the watches, so... but, um, but, but I was thinking more, you know, you've alluded to the fact that, you know, the, the environmental conditions for diving in UK compared to, you know, the Far East, the Pacific, wherever is completely different. You alluded to dry suits and all that kind of stuff. I just want to, you know, like I said, paint a picture in terms of what you take as a yeah, recreational sure. diver as well, you know, because like I said, at the end of the day, it's a very, it, you know, let's, you know, not beat around the bush, you know, not everybody is ever going to become a Royal Navy, you know, FDU diver, you know, not everyone's going to go, go into this, this world of military diving. For me, mate, the only, the only experience I've got is a tri dive in the Mediterranean where I can tell you for for a fact, I was not in a dry suit. Um, And my links to army diving through my uncle, my uncle, and as you know, we've discussed this, my uncle was a Royal Engineers, a shallow water diver he was a, he was the the dive troop sergeant for a long time within his squadrons um and then he went on to become an eod diver as well um and when we touch on the 60s and 70s later on we talk about obviously we're going to come back to mill divers and mill subs as it were um i've got a very heartbreaking story for you um when we get there in terms of what he did with his i'm aware of that story let's let's Um, leave that there for now yeah we'll leave it there but you know what i mean the point but you know what i mean the point being is is that not everyone's unless they go and become a recreational diver or a paddy dive instructor or a tri they're never gonna really experience that world so you know talk to me mate about as from a layman's point of view what you take and what you personally as a watch guy would rely on, you know, okay. say it all so, went wrong, you know, in terms fundamentally of fundamentally for or, me, mate, okay. I mean, I've got, I've got a few different pieces I put on my wrist. I've got a, um, Royal Navy current issue dive computer. 
um, which is fantastic. Uh, okay. Pro. Um, that uh, found its way to me through um, dishonest channels, um, but it found its way to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not what you know, is always, it, mate? It's always, who always, you know. Always, always. Um, and, and I referred to earlier that it's diving, diving's uh, a huge portion of diving's mathematics. Um, you can only be underwater for a certain amount of time, um, and you can only be under a depth or varying depths a certain amount of time, um, because fundamentally you get a, a buildup in your body uh, uh, of, of gas, and, and, and you have to make sure you do not go over a certain point of that gas um, otherwise you end up the bends and, and it becomes a major problem um, so understanding how long you've been underwater and understanding what depth you've been underwater are fundamental things um, when it comes to diving so um, every I would say every 99.9% of modern divers will dive with some form of uh, dive computer that's fantastic until the batteries run out until you bounce it off a rock until they, you drop it until something happens and you're in the shit um, and then you haven't got a clue how deep you are where you are how long you've been under, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So watch-wise, I always try and dive um, with a diving watch um, as well. Um, I'm more comfortable diving with a diving okay. watch than I am a diving computer because whenever I've learned how to dive, um, I had an old-school guy teach me how to dive, um, and he basically said, right, learn with a watch. That way, you're never relying on any dive computers or whatever. Um, you may end, you know, his story was you could end up somewhere mm-hmm. one day on a holiday with the family and the kids and just by chance there's there's you you can go out and dive but you're not going to need equipment when it comes to dive computers with you but you've got your watch on you can use that you're not going to miss out on the opportunity that's a fair point so for me i i dive with two watches yeah. um the elliot brown holton which i referred to earlier uh, great watch to dive with mate now is is your holton the issued variant mate or is it similar to my Yes, yeah, same same as your pre- well, similar to your previously owned variant, mate. So uh, Elliot Brown um, on a contract with the Ministry of Defence to produce the diving watches used by the Royal Navy and Royal Marines, um, and military divers across the board. That that's got a NATO stock number. Um, and last year, beginning of the year, um, there was uh, a series of special editions released. Uh, Fifteen units of each. Um, Fourteen went on to the market. Um, and, and one stayed with a company uh, of each model. Um, so out of those 14, there were four variations in different colours. Um, I've got one. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's essentially made exactly the same as the issue, um, except I haven't got a date window, yeah. um, and the dial is uh, mm-hmm. blue. It's blue, um, not uh, striking blue or an electric blue. It's blue in the same colour uh, as a disruptive camouflage pattern um, of the Atlantic convoys uh the ships in the second world war so for me that sat really well mm-hmm. with my um uh, maritime background um uh, and that's the one i went for um i love it it's a fantastic watch um i, I do enjoy it i do yep. really enjoy diving with it um but part of me wants the normal holton as well because that's the one that sits on 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 stores shelves now um so i've been fighting myself over the last six months I'd say mate on whether I should keep that watch or as you say pass it on to someone else who can enjoy it yeah. um, and I can pick up one of uh, mm. one of the issued ones um, but yeah that's that's a different story yeah. for a different day so I, I dive with that and mm. I dive with the uh, Sangin Instruments Neptune as well another great dive watch um, 
what's weird, mate, yeah. both of those watches have got links to um, special forces. So British SBS used the Holton. Um, and the Neptune, um, yeah. a huge portion of the research and development of that watch was with the SEAL teams in the States. Um, and yeah, to be yeah. frank, uh, my, um, uh, my dive-in is never, ever going to come up to the standard uh, or the same rigorous environment that theirs is. So if it's good enough for them, mate, have a guess what? I'm happy it's a pig and shit. Um, I got no shakes with that at all. So so that's yeah. what I wear on my wrists. Um, as far as diving rig, uh, standard scuba setup, mate. Um, but we use in this country dry suits a lot more than wetsuits. Um, dry suits are basically a big bo- body condom um, that fills with air um, <laughs> and, 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 and essentially that yeah. air in that suit allows you to control your buoyancy at the water at various depths as well um, but it also um, allows okay. you to stay a lot warmer than you would uh, in a wetsuit because um, essentially you're dry um, so yeah that's that's pretty much the rig out and the setup it always has diving gloves you could have a diving hood your mask uh, mm-hmm. your breathing apparatus mate um, yeah. and, and your fins um, but yeah, um, as they yeah. say in this part of the world, mate, um, there's no such thing uh, as a cold diver. Uh, just pee more and swim faster. Simple as that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's the that's the loadout, mate. Uh, something I do dive with quite often as well. If I'm um, if if I'm open okay. water diving, um, is a, an Aqualung diving knife. Um, again, uh, found its way. Yeah, I I know. I happen to have yeah, one of those. One of those found its way way to me through dishonest channels cool. as well. Um, so that's a current issue. Uh, great pieces, mate. Great pieces of kit. Um, uh, yeah, yeah really that. cool, mate. Diving in uh, lakes and reservoirs, mate. But if, if, if I'm sea diving, I'll always have a knife on me. Um, always. Um, yeah. Because you never, yeah. never, ever know. Um, uh, now, again, mate, I'm not a diver, but I'm, you know, you talk about divers' mm. knives, you think about the frogmen and it, these knives obviously being attached to people's ankles but uh, this is just a, a, a point i guess on personal preference but where do you attach yours mate do you attach it onto your rig or onto you as it were you know uh, i prefer it there oh okay cheese um in a fantastic way you know what i mean these, these diving mm-hmm. setups mate the diving knives are fantastic yeah, yeah. i i think there's an element of uh having having a knife on your ankle or your teeth mate that looks fantastic <laughs> it looks fantastic I mean yeah, it's weird yeah. mate I, I was talking about foiled uh, sorry um, fouled uh, propellers earlier um, uh, something I've had a, yes. a personal experience with on, on a few occasions and reaching down to your ankle while you're underwater to get a knife out and cut a rope of a boy or, or whatever mm. that's not that, that's, yeah that's, that's not that's not ideal um, it goes on my on my right thigh um, and I'm also terrified terrified yeah. of uh, eels um, and we have some some oh yeah I mean oh, they are horrible Dan. angry looking Dan. they're evil eels looking aren't they they're snakes so they I've got my I've biggest got... fears mate mate I've got you can tell me your your if you have a running story with an eel, but I'll, I'll give you one, mate, um, because this is uh, an ex- aquatic experience that I have had as a as a mere land lover, as it were. Um, so when I went out to the Middle East, obviously for work, um, I managed to get the chance on one of our R and R kind yeah. of rest days um, to have a really cool experience, which was to go out into. Uh, effectively an mm. offshore nature reserve. Now, two things came out of this. 
uh, for me personally, um, which were fantastic. Uh, one being I now have yep. to have a GoPro wherever I go because I didn't have one at the time. And some of the things that we saw out there were amazing. But you come back and you tell your family, you tell your civvy mates and you're like, oh, yeah, we did this. And they kind of say, prove it, yep. prove it. And you're like, oh, shit. Um, so personally, need a GoPro. Uh, secondly, we went out and we basically dove, uh, dove dived with um, nice sea turtles and largely swarms of of shoals yeah sorry not swarms shoals of fish and all that kind of stuff but man i remember that we we got dropped off by the boat and we basically did a little bit of an island hop around this nature reserve effectively it's underwater nature reserve and they were like right we'll drop you off here you can have 20 minutes half an hour here we'll pick you back up we'll move yeah. you and that's basically what we did all day um now we weren't diving diving we were just free diving you know oh. scoop um snorkeling um and i went i was probably got down to about six meters, six, seven meters. And I remember this because I had a, what I at the time would class as at least a yeah. semi-diving capable watch. So I had um, a yeah. Sunto Coron at the time. And it actually, yes, it's an ABC watch and it's obviously designed really for mountaineering and, and climbing, but it's got a depth meter on it. So I was kind of into watches at the time a little bit. Um, and I just wanted to test how accurate that was. But what was really cool about that was that gives you a depth alarm at 10 meters so it tells you when you yeah. reach 10 meters and it'll give you a buzz which is great and you can actually yeah. hear that in the water which is quite cool so i was just testing that out and just obviously messing around with my mates and i remember i got down to about six meters and you know obviously as deeper you yeah. go the less light happens you know get pierces the surface and i was about six meters and i remember swimming over uh, a reef and the reef dropped away from me mate and it was like one of those moments where you swim over an abyss and it yeah. is just black right and you sit there and kind of go oh my mates are behind me so i'm not going to bow to peer pressure and go down there oh wait no i am so obviously i started to go down as obviously as deep as i could and i think i got down to about probably 12 meters before yeah. basically my lungs gave in but right at the bottom before i came back up and obviously i've not got anywhere you know to the bottom of whatever hole that was uh, just what I would describe as a massive moray or kind of looking thing pops out the side of this hole. And I know water magnifies how big this thing is, mate, but I shit you not. I, it was at least probably, I'd say at least a meter and a half long. And it was probably about six inches yeah. wide. You know what I mean? Like it was thick, you know, I wouldn't be able to get my hands around it kind of thing. And it just looked evil. You know, when it looks at you with one eye, it's kind of saying, hey, you come honestly, any closer, right? You can understand how sailors. That's what happened to me, mate. And I, yeah, I literally just went, yeah, right, yeah. I'll revert and go straight back up. Uh, and my mates were like, I popped up to the surface and my mates were like, you came up fast. What's down yeah, there? Giant. Have a look. <laughs> From the underworld itself. Yeah, yeah. Mate, you can understand yeah, how sailors yeah. come up with, with, with sea yeah. monster stories. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's horrific. Um, Similar stories to you, mate. Few occasions I've 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 uh, I've been down below and um, yeah, I've seen some eels and, and things like that. I've I've never struck one, um, but believe me, um, another inch no. or two, mate, and I'd have been throwing that knife from like D'Artagnan, uh, trying to fend this thing away from me. <laughs> I don't know what it is, mate. <laughs> You've done. You, we would have passed your underwear. It's bananas, mate. Like, I mean, I, I just I'm not fond of them. I'm not fond of them. Anything, anything with they arms. They just look horrible, don't they? Um, 
uh, and can move uh, anything without arms and legs, but can still move around. It's just you don't trust that. It's not normal. Fish make sense. They've got fins. They've got you know <laughs> things that you know that, that that makes sense to me. Do you know what I mean? Eels and snakes don't. It just doesn't. It's just yeah. Not for me, mate. Not for me at all. Um, I should never have let on to that, mate, because there are one or two people who listen to this podcast now that will probably post snakes from a letterbox, or um, I'll wake up. Yeah, yeah. More, uh, more than likely, mate. You know what will happen? You know what will happen? The kind of friends that you have, what they're going to do is you're going to wake up one day, and do you remember that episode? Or, not episode, that um, whichever Indiana Jones film it is where oh, he falls God. into the pit for the snakes. Don't. That's, that's going to be that, you, mate. I can't, uh, yeah, that's yeah, going to be no, you. Not for me, kid. Not for me. No, thank you. Um, I'll pass. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll pass that one and, uh, and and skip. Yeah, that's not for me, Paul. But anyway, enough of our fears, mate, yeah. and uh, um, <laughs> stuff like that. Yes. Well, I. It's not mess- for me, mate. It wasn't mess- necessarily. A Don't play it down it's now. Just when you look Don't at play it down go, now. That looks Don't nasty. Play it down now. Looks nasty. Um, mate. So I've got probably one closing note in terms of wrapping up this element of dive watch no, unless you've got anything else before we go I, on to yeah, the actual I think, closing I think, note. Listen guys, we're never we're, we're two blokes here trying to trying to chat through history. Um, you know, there's always going to be stuff out there that, that we, we, we haven't talked about, mm. we haven't covered. It's impossible for, for two guys to cover it in, in an hour or so on an episode of a podcast. So as always, what we try and do is give you Give you a good overview um, and the big bits, um, so you can go off and yeah. into the watch world and, and find out the stuff that sparked the interest for you. Exactly so, that. I'm happy, Dan. I'm happy. Let's 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 bang it on, yeah. head, mate. Let's let's jump into cool. the closing notes and uh, um, uh, and go from there, pal. So, last bit then, mate. Before we move on to that, when was okay? You like this military, military diving knowledge for you? When do you think the first use of military diving? Oh, I want to say lads underwater doing stuff probably late 1800s, mate, making bridges and things like that. Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I... Yeah, you're pretty close, mate. Pretty close. Um, okay. So 1838 was the first time a mil- so the use of military diving or what would be considered as military diving occurred. Um, and you'll like this. Well, I like this, mate, because obviously it harks back to my family background. It wasn't the Royal okay. Navy. Okay, Royal Engineers, that'd be building bridges. Yeah, yeah. Royal Engineers, mate. So it's the Royal Engineers. Yeah. It was a Colonel Pasley of the Royal Engineers, and he was tasked with demolishing um, okay. a wreck, which obviously had sank and be- um, basically had an issue with blocking elements of the Thames yeah, Fairway okay. just near Tilbury. So there you go. Big up to the Corps of Royal Engineers and their military diving prowess, but well, they beat the Royal Navy to it, mate. Just saying. Yeah, you may you may be the senior yeah, service, yeah. All right? But got one up. We got one up on you yeah. in terms of military diving. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I concede. No drama squad. Yeah, fair one, mate. So, yes, there you fair go, one. mate. It's closing notes, mate. So, what have you got to um, say? What, yeah, what have you guys, got? What have you got? Ha- I'm intrigued. I'm yeah. excited. So, I've got two. Uh, one's watch-related, one's not watch-related, but in keep, but both are in keeping with today's theme of military divers mm. and swimming canoeists and all that kind of stuff. So, which one do you want first, mate? Do you want you the watch-related one or the non-watch-related one? Okay. Right. So... We'll keep all the watch chat together. Uh, we'll go for the watch-related one first. So, um, 
as we all know, we've obviously been at home um, or, you know, not in work, working from home and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we've had a lot of time to go on social media and all that kind of jazz. So effectively earlier this week, mate, I decided to go on to one of those Instagram live streams. Uh, and this live stream in particular was being conducted by um, Mr. Mark Miller. Uh, Mark Miller is the owner and the founder of Winfield okay. Watch Company. Now, the whole reason he did it was because effectively he'd never done an Instagram live feed stream story thing before. And he just kind of wanted to gauge A, how to do it. And then I guess engage with whoever, you know, decided to tune in at the time. And obviously I was one of them. Um, really nice gent. Okay. Um, and we got talking on there about watches. And he was asking questions to the audience about particular models that he's obviously introduced introducing as well as you know answering questions to i guess his already you know stoic followership in terms of you know the current situation and how it's going to affect winfield and what he foresees and all that kind of stuff but also i guess there was also an element of him gleaning newer followers because i won't lie to you um i've only seen these watches advertised and i think i've had one review sent to me before um but other than that these watches aren't really in UK. They're a bit like Sanger Instruments, mate, in the fact that they're run out of America. Um, they've got an ex-military uh, founder um, and they haven't quite okay. broken the UK market yet. Okay, so out the back of that, uh, live stream, Mark uh, and I actually went across to actually just messaging each other uh, through uh, the Timely Moments page and talking about watches and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he gave me, the, obviously, the background of of his company and effectively mate he um is ex us navy he is um ex us naval intelligence uh and he obviously is a watch guy uh and he decided that when he left the the us navy he would obviously develop his own watch company out the back of his own experiences and i know it's very similar to the sanguine origin story when you look at it like that um but he's based out of ohio and he's obviously created watches um out of his experience and he's got um the predominant models being the MT1 or the Mission Timer 1, okay? Um, but we started speaking, uh, and he obviously asked me what I do, and he asked me, you know, how I got into the collecting thing. And I mentioned, you know, in passing that we obviously co-host um, the Zulu Time podcast, and he got very excited about that. Um, he asked loads of questions about it and, in fact, listened to one of the episodes. And he came back to me a couple of days ago and said that he wanted to give the opportunity for the audience um, exposure to Winfield Watch Company. Uh, and what he said is to give out his discount code, which he provides to um, the veteran and law enforcement community in America as it were predominantly however he was happy to give it to our listeners as well okay so i'll put the actual code in the show notes okay but to do it phonetically for you all in caps and no spaces it's victor echo lima echo oscar one zero so it spells out v uh valio 10 okay uh standing for veteran and law enforcement organization 10 Okay, and it gives you 10% discount on any of his watches and accessories on his site. So I just want to give a shout out to Mark for being, you know, a watch guy and a true gent. Um, and then obviously, guys, you know, in this current day and age with what's going on, I encourage you to have a look because it's all about, I feel, supporting independent businesses at this time because it's these 
businesses that need your support given what's happening yeah at the moment. i won't argue with that mate um okay so that's my point that's my first point mate for closing note is obviously winfield watches um again all the details will be in the show notes below perfect what's the second point mate what have you got second point mate uh, again we're all sat at home not really doing as much as we probably could be or would be normally um binge watching binge worthy tv series um on amazon prime i've got seal team there's two seasons of it on amazon prime at the moment in uk i think the third is currently airing in america um mate just you know it's one of those turn off watch a little bit of uh, military action um car chases gun um guns explosions with a uh, you know yeah, reasonably acceptable storyline as you say you can dip in and out of it uh, to your heart's content and not be too upset yeah. and worried about yeah. the storylines joining together exactly um, but yeah, yeah. No. on a geeky watch note mate what's quite cool is that the watches are quite accurate to the watches that they uh the team guys um mm. actually use as well so uh, if you're a fan of the Sunto core, again, I mentioned it earlier with my, you know, diving experience that I had out in the, the Middle East, um, all the guys roll around with Sunto cores. And as we know, the U.S. Navy SEALs are actually issued the Sunto core as their uh, Mega. issued watch. Uh, Mega. For, for me. Yeah. No, not, not mate, they're I mean. my two I'm, points. Uh, uh, like I say, I'm, I'm familiar with both of them, mate. And um, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd argue. Um, I, I probably would have... Um, Use them myself, mate, if you want to come up with them. Um, but yeah, for me, mate, it, two elements of it. Number one is uh, Amazon Prime again. Um, we're all sat in the house at the minute, guys, um, trying to stay sane. Um, find a series uh, called The Hunters. Um, Al Pacino's in it. Um, I'm not going to give too much away on the storyline, but essentially, um, it's a vigilante series um, whereby uh, a group of Jewish Americans hunted down Nazis post Second World War. Um, it's far better um, in every way than than anything that's been done similar. Um, I know there are a few other bits and bobs out there in TV land um, of a similar style. Um, this is really is a good series. Um, it, it's it's really well done, really well put together, and the fact that Chino's on it, guys, will tell you everything you need to know. Um, it's phenomenal. Yeah, he nah, doesn't mate, he doesn't put his name to crap, does he? He's Let's on another level, level mate. Do you know what I mean? He's on another level. It's 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 yeah. uh, just hearing his name alone tells you it's gonna be good. Do you know what I mean? Um so yeah, find that out, dig it out, yeah. guys, uh, on that. Um second bit for me, mate, is is supporting supporting small businesses. Um it's a tough time at the minute, guys, and I don't wanna get on uh uh, yeah. uh, high horse or, or you know get, get get the violin out but what we're seeing certainly in the UK is there are a lot of businesses um, who are struggling at the minute and, and, and they're big businesses they're, the big businesses are the ones that get televised um, what are you going to understand there's a lot of small companies out there as well who are really going for a tough time at the minute some of these small companies are the ones we, we love or we buy stuff from so um, I, I know it could sound like I'm, I'm trying to take you on a path there reference to Zulu Alpha Strats I'm not in any way um, of course, we love your business and, and your customer and your support, but not just us. Look at the other guys as well who you buy things from. Um, there are a number of, of companies out there that we all purchase from. I know I get my, my coffee from uh, the Greenberry Coffee Company, um, and they're phenomenal. So um, I bought a couple of extra bags 
um, for the last few weeks. Not because I necessarily needed them, but because I want to get behind the guys there and, and, and just make sure that any any dip that they've got, I can contribute towards backfilling. Um, so, yeah, find the smaller brands, guys. The world's going to be very different after this. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, unless we get behind these people, unless you know, we support them, then there's a real danger we will lose them. Um, and they're not going to be there when we come out into the new world. So, um, hashtag use them or lose them. Um, get behind these companies. Um, you know, whatever you can do um, uh, financially wise. I know it's tough for a lot of people, ourselves included. Then, then you know, rather than spending your money with with the big boys, try and throw it at the independents. Big boys who goes into uh, you know the vacuumless money pit. The independents, you you're paying for you know um, school clothes and school books for their kids. And, you know, paying the bills and the mortgage, keep the lights on in your house. You know what I mean. So, just just be a bit mindful of of who you're buying off, and just try where you can to support the smaller companies. Um, and that's it. Yeah, that's it for me, mate. So I think that rounds off for episode six, mate. If you're happy. Um, the only last thing I want to say um, to the yep. people um, um, is wash your hands. Wash your hands. The faster we get through <laughs> this shit, yeah, faster we can come out of it. Um, so yeah, wash your hands, guys, and, and stay safe. Don't take any risks. Yep, no, mate. I've got no other points other than that as well, guys. Uh, just stay safe. Do follow the guidance, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get through this. Catch you in the next one.